All right, let's turn to John 16 this morning. John 16. And we want to be looking today at verses 13 through 16. John 16, verses 13 through 16. And we will consider uh, the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. John 16, beginning there in verse number 13. The Bible tells us, How be it when he the Spirit of truth, is come. He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me, And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. You might mark that expression there, the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. When we consider what we've learned about the Holy Spirit over the last few weeks, especially here in John 16, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is not just our guide Uh, He is not just given to show us the way, but He is going with us. He goes with us to influence, of course, to guide, but of course, to aid us, to comfort us, to convict us. But notice it says the Spirit of truth. And it says that the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into All truth. It's not just truth that is having a mere knowledge of it. Knowing that truth exists. To be guided into truth is not just having an idea of what truth is. It's not just having a thought of what I think truth is. The Spirit guides into all truth. Only that which is absolutely truth true, and it is not just something that is just known with our heads or our intellect. It is the very power of God in our life is to be guided into all truth. There would be no power of God if it was void of truth. If the Holy Spirit was just there to show us the way, but not to guide us into all truth, we might say that's a wonderful benefit to have, but that would not do, really do anything for us spiritually. But to be guided into all truth means that we will be taught all truth. If we're taught all truth, that means that God through the Holy Spirit holds nothing back that's for our profit. So the Holy Spirit of God never withholds that which is profitable to us. He will show us what we read here. He will show us all things to come. Not just parts of it, all things. Every gift of the Spirit, every grace of the Spirit, all the preaching we read about, all the preaching that we hear, all the writings of the apostles here in our inspired Word of God are all under the influence of the Spirit as they were guided into all truth. Every miracle, everything that we see throughout Scripture is a result of the Holy Spirit of God guiding into all truth. And what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit guiding into all truth? simply to glorify Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is again explaining to his disciples. 
Remember the backstory here is Jesus Christ is getting ready to go away. He's getting ready to go to the cross. In just a few short hours, Jesus Christ will have already been brought before a sham of a, a courtroom. He will be found guilty of blasphemy, although he was not guilty of anything. In a sense, Jesus is going to be found guilty of lying. Yet the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus says the Holy Spirit of God guides you into all truth. Of course, Jesus didn't lie. Of course, Jesus had no guile, no deceit was in him. But what's Jesus teaching his disciples here? Remember, he's told them about the, he's told them about the comforter. We've learned about how to be comforted. It always must be preceded with conviction. In other words, we can't be comforted unless we're convicted by sin. The Holy Spirit, we've seen how He's going to work. But yet, we learned last week that Jesus had taught us in verse 12 that there were still many things that He needed to say to the disciples, but He tells them, ye cannot bear them now. Now notice, He wasn't telling them that you will not be able to bear them. He says you can't bear them right now. There's quite a difference in what we can bear now and what we may be able to bear later. But what is this Holy Spirit going to do? This Holy Spirit is going to fill you. He's going to indwell you. Back in John 14, 17, Jesus said this, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Notice the words with and in. Jesus was telling them, he was beginning that process in John 14 of telling them about the comfort that would come. And that's when we see the most familiar verse, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So we know that the Holy Spirit is an indwelling. So as he indwells us, he guides us into all truth. The guide, kind of a simplistic way of putting this, the guide goes before. Doesn't lag behind, he goes before. The guide shows you the way. He's the teacher. He leads. He opens the understanding. Removes the obstacles in certain things in our life, especially in the spiritual realm. It's the Holy Spirit that removes the stumbling blocks of our traditions, our prejudices. It makes the truth of Christ clear. I have clarity in Christ today because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, guiding you and I into all truth. That's why we see Christ today. We don't see Christ because of our intellectual knowledge of an abstract idea of the truth. We know it because the Holy Spirit has guided us into it. Makes the truth of Christ clear. The Holy Spirit also makes known all of the counsel of God. All the counsel of God, which is necessary. We cannot just simply take portions of truth of the Word of God and say, that's what my idea of truth is. The truth is the entire counsel of God. We spent a lot of time talking about the gospel today, but the gospel would not be the gospel without the entirety of the counsel of God. The gospel only makes sense if it's taken in this totality with the rest of Scripture, the entire council. Such as man's got to be brought to a place where he understands he's a sinner. He has to be brought to a place he understands that there's a need of a Savior and there's only one remedy for that. 
That's the Holy Spirit opening the understanding. The counsel of God teaches us all things that are profitable. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit also does all things that are profitable, even on a very personal, where we are level, by making all things useful to the church. Whatever we do apart from the Holy Spirit of God is of no profit. If I preach today without the Spirit of God, this is nothing more than a bunch of words. If you and I try to encourage one another without the Spirit of God, it's just words. But when we are encouraging to others and they're encouraging one another and we are in the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will teach us all things that are profitable. So this Spirit that Jesus is talking about, saying, as I go away, I'm going to send you this comforter, this convictor, this indwelling Holy Spirit. But you'll notice what Jesus is saying here. He says he has a very specific role. The spirit of truth is come. He will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself. Now that is so important. He shall not speak of himself. What the Holy Spirit teaches will not be about the Holy Spirit. What he teaches will be about the Son. Even as the Son did not speak of himself, he spoke of the Father. So Jesus Christ, the Son, spoke of the Father. The Holy Spirit speaks of the Son. That's the purpose. Jesus had said, if you'd like to turn there, back in John chapter 12, verses 49 through 50, he had used this terminology and about his own witness, his own testimony. John 12, verse 49 for I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Isn't it interesting? We have this view of Christ that Christ himself says, I only spoke what the Father told me to speak. There are, there are statements throughout Scripture that, that and, and this probably isn't the, the best word, but there are things that, that blow our minds. That's one of them. It blows my mind that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, said, I only spoke what the Father told me to speak. Now, we readily accept that, but people have a hard time accepting that the Holy Spirit only speaks of Jesus. The Holy Spirit seems in our day and age to have taken on a life of his own. They, people tend to say that the Holy Spirit is his own thing. He's his own person. He's not subjected or submissive to any, but yet Jesus was submissive to the Father and the Holy Spirit is submissive to the Son. And so what we see here is what is being spoken, the mind of God. Jesus speaks what the Father says. The Holy Spirit speaks what Jesus says. All of them go together. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the three in one, the Trinity. What the Father purposes, I don't, did not originate this, what the Father purposes, the Son purchases, and the Spirit applies it. It's a good way to put it. What the Father purposes, the Son purchases, and the Spirit applies. The Holy Spirit does not just stress one point at the expense of another but guides into all truth. Maybe a silly illustration, but he does not, the Holy Spirit is not on a 
a soapbox. He doesn't have one thing that, ex- that causes uh, at the expense of another. It's the entire counsel of God. But he will also reveal to you, Jesus says, things to come. Now, at that time, what things were still to come? Now, you and I, when we read this, again, and back in John 16, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You've got to put yourself in the picture of the disciples. There are things that have not yet happened that have happened in our lifetime, right? I will speak to you things that are to come. Jesus has not gone to the cross yet. Jesus has not, uh, has not gone to the cross. He's not bled and died. The resurrection has not taken place. Now, we today, we live beyond those things, but yet we still apply what is the Holy Spirit teaching us about things to come? The Lord's return. Folks, whether you believe it or not, and whether hopefully you haven't taken the position of where's the promise of his coming, Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming again. And he will come exactly as the Bible declares he will come. We don't know the hour. Man has been trying to figure this out for decades. Man has been trying to figure out, here's a sign in the Middle East. Here's another sign. Here's this. Here's this. He's got to be coming this year. Man has, in a false way, declared the exact date, the exact year, only to find and have to admit, I made a mistake. Well, that's what you get for trying to know the mind of God. No man knows. Another mind-blowing statement is Jesus Christ even says, I don't even know the hour, only the Father knows. It's another one of those mysteries. If you if you got the answer to that one, let's chat. How can all three be God and yet Jesus himself says, but only the Father knows? These mysteries of God, we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about the Lord's return. People are fascinated with the end of the world. Every time a missile launches somewhere, that's it. This is it. Just a few weeks ago, World War III, we were on the cusp of it, weren't we? If you had the news on, suddenly that's it. This is it. Somebody, some country today has finally had enough and they're going to push that nuclear code and our president's going to have to respond. It's, it's, that's it. Yet yeah, we're still here. Yet the end of the world and those things which are to come, those things which shall be, we're reading through the book of Revelation on Wednesday night. And of course, we know that that talks about the things that were, the things that are, and the things that will be. Revelation talks about many of these things, but the Holy Spirit teaches by using the word. In other words, he's not going to teach us something that's not contained in the scriptures. So if a man stands up and says, I have a new vision from God that does not line up, or he, let's, let's back up. He says, the Holy Spirit spoke to me today and gave me a new vision. You should turn your ears off right then. Don't listen to another word that he said. He said, but the Holy Spirit told him. The Holy Spirit only speaks according to the truth of the word of God, which has already been declared. If he tells you something that is not in in perfect, in, in perfect cohesion with the Word, that's not the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit today has no need to speak to men in dreams, visions, or special revelations. There was a time when that was needed because the Bible had not yet been fully completed, but now there is no need of that. To believe in dreams, visions, and special revelations is to make the Holy Spirit be about Himself instead of being about speaking the things of Christ. The Holy Spirit will always use the written Word and He will always speak according to the Word. One of the foundational verses that if you go through any sort of, and again, I'm, I'm not advocating for or against per se, but anytime you go through a seminary, a Bible college, whatever it might be, one of the foundational verses they will, they will talk about is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And it's important because we understand that this is the very foundation of the work of the Holy Spirit, how He works, what He'll say, what He'll do. 2 Peter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Emphasis on the word any. Any private interpretation. Man cannot make the Bible say what he wants it to say. He cannot speak beyond the boundaries of what the Scripture says. For the prophecy, this is, this is part of it, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, in other words, man did not come up with the prophetic books, did not come up with the Bible, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, lo and behold, by the Holy Ghost. That means every author of every book, of every chapter, of every part of your scripture was written and penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That means not a single book, chapter was written by man's will or philosophy. It was penned by the Holy Spirit using those men to pen those books. So the very Word of God is authored by the Holy Spirit. So now go back to John 16. Again, we're looking at this entirety of the whole of Spirit of Truth. And of course, there's more things that are coming. And of course, the disciples are not fully aware that he's totally aware of what's happening. Jesus has been talking about going away. They're not fully understanding the cross. They're not fully understanding all that's going to take place. And that's why he told them, you're not able to bear this yet. But he does continue to talk about the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, he says, He shall glorify me, speak in the Spirit, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So the Holy Spirit never glorifies himself, never magnifies his gifts, Never does he inspire his ministry or himself. The Holy Spirit will never lead man to believe something that goes contrary to what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit will never teach that gaining some higher spiritual experience is better than salvation. In other words, there are people that teach today that the true picture of the Holy Spirit is if you can speak in tongues and you can heal people. That is error. There is no greater knowledge you have today than the saving grace of Christ and the saving grace of God. If a man says, I can speak in tongues and heal, that is not greater than knowing 
my security in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit would never take credit for himself. We are complete. We are complete in Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God is the evidence of our completeness. If you have the Holy Spirit today, you are complete in Christ. He's not waiting for you to add to it. He's not waiting for you to take away from it. You are complete in Christ. The evidence of your salvation is in the presence of the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you. You don't call the Holy Spirit to come unto you. You don't ask him to come again because he left. If you're in Christ, he has indwelt you and he is there forevermore. He's not going anywhere. Now that's important because Jesus had been with his disciples nearly every moment since he called them to follow him. Being complete in Christ means that we will grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. The Holy Spirit guides us, teaches us into all truth. We'll be, we'll be uh, taught in what Christ has done, what he is doing, and what he is going to do. When the gospel is neglected, which we've talked a lot about today, when Christ isn't preached, when the Holy Spirit takes center stage, we can be sure that that's not the Holy Spirit of God speaking. The Holy Spirit never upstages Christ. Now, some people say, well, that sounds like the Holy Spirit is kind of the weak link of the bunch. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because remember what we just talked about? The Father, the Father purposes, the Son purchases, the Holy Spirit applies. There is no salvation without the Holy Spirit's work. It's not lessening Him. But we are taught in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we are taught about not being deceived by false spirits. So 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3, told very carefully, Beloved, believe not every spirit. One point about this, this ought to confirm to you that there are false spirits. There are demonic spirits. If you're one of those people who takes the opinion that there is no such thing as demonic activity and that things that are used to summon up demonic demons is just make-believe, you're fooling yourself. There is a demonic presence all around us. You are truly every day in spiritual warfare. Now, I believe biblically because Holy Spirit dwells, you cannot ever be overtaken and possessed by a demonic spirit. But the influence and the ability to be deceived by that spirit, that's what John's talking about. He says, beloved, believe not every spirit. And he says, but try them. Try the spirits, whether they are of God. That tells us there are spirits that are, there's a spirit of God and there are spirits that are not of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of truth. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is of God. The test is, does that spirit confess Christ? If that spirit confesses Christ, that's the Spirit of God. That puts the rest most things that could possibly deceive us. But yet we're told to try them. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, this is pretty cut and dry, is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, 
whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Let's go on just a little bit further. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The Holy Spirit teaches you what's right and what's error. Example, you know when something is not of God. As the Holy Spirit, you know there's even if it's just a even if it's just a small stirring based on a truth, you know that's not of God. But sometimes we try to to twist and contort and turn it into something that it really isn't. It says I give you examples before where people will argue with scripture right in front of them, they'll say, Yes, but if you'd say this is error, and they'd say, Yes, but what about this is error? This is not of God. Yes, but you don't understand my circumstances. This is error. You are, you are treading on dangerous ground. So the Holy Spirit is never going to bring new doctrine. He is only going to teach that which was uttered by Christ's own mouth, which in effect Christ only spoke what his Father told him to speak. And that is what's being imprinted on our hearts and in our minds. No new doctrine. Someone comes to you and says, I have a new doctrine, run. Don't sit there and give them a chance. Don't say, let's have a discussion. Don't listen. There's warnings about not even, not even inviting false prophets into your home. When one of those false prophets who does not have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, knocks on your door, don't be polite and ask them to come into your house for coffee and tea and cookies. You say, that's unloving. The Bible says don't do it. And it doesn't, it says don't even wish them Godspeed, which means don't say, hey, I don't want what you're selling, have a good day. Folks, you have a demonic spirit standing on your front porch when that happens. You're inviting error into your home. The Bible says don't do that. Now again, I know the world says that's why we don't like all you religious people because you're unloving and hateful. Everybody should be allowed to believe what they want to believe. Listen, I believe that too. You have, you have soul liberty to believe whatever you want to believe. But that doesn't mean I have to accept and bring it into my house. Right? Man has a right to believe anything they want to believe. Man has a right, a God-given right to worship whom they'll worship. If you make the error and say, they don't have a right to worship that false God. Yes, they do. And that right has been granted by God himself. But what I can say is I don't have to allow it into my home into our church because if it's not the Spirit of God, I need to turn away from it. So we go to verse 15. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So we know from Scripture, as we've learned through this series, that the Father has given all things into the hands of Christ. All the way back in John 3, which has been over a year ago now, in John 3.35, it says this, The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. 
He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And you say, why is that important? Because it's all connected with the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. In John 17, verse 2, again, with reference to Jesus, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Eternal life given to all that the Father has given to the Son. This is one of the most twisted, misunderstood, and intentionally ignored verses in all Scripture. It clearly says that he, the Father, should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. All that the Father has given to to the Son, they will come unto him. All things, what does that refer to? All things in heaven, all things in earth, all things under the earth, all things pertaining to redemption, all things pertaining to believers, both here, now, in the past, in the future, and eternally. All things in the new heaven and the new earth have been given into the hands of the Son. So therefore, what we come to the conclusion of, which we've already seen this, if the Holy Spirit reveals and teaches anything from God, it will pertain to Christ Jesus. If a man has the Spirit of God, he would be able to say with what we can say with the Apostle Paul, we preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified. Why? Because there's an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ being spoken about through the power of the Spirit, that is indeed truth. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 2, Paul, if you can turn there, Paul quickly makes this statement. It kind of goes along with what we learned in the first hour this morning. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration, watch this, of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is not just a good idea. This is where the power of God is residing, is in the Holy Spirit. One of the Bibles that I have is a Geneva Bible, and some of you are familiar with this. Geneva was, it was around before the King James, and it has Bible notes in it, and I'm greatly helped by those notes. And it says this, it says, The grace of the Holy Spirit is a most distinct mirror in which Christ is truly beheld with the most sharp-sighted eyes of faith and not with the blurred eyes of the flesh. And by this, we feel a continual joy, even in the midst of sorrows. This, what Jesus is telling his disciples, is not just some casual idea, relationship. This is ultimately where their source of comfort is going to come from. When you are comforted today, when you are joyful today, even in the midst of sorrows, and that we'll talk about this next week about sorrow being turned into joy, it is because of the Holy Spirit. 
Remember I mentioned last week or maybe the week before that there are so many people say, you know what, what the world really needs is we just need Jesus Christ here bodily, not according to Scripture. Not in this sense now. Now, he is coming again, but we already have the greatest comfort you're ever going to have. You have the spirit of truth. Your greatest encouragement today in times of sorrow and affliction is the joy that the Holy Spirit gives unto you because he reminds you of truth. Nothing brings you more joy than being told and reminded of the truth. What would turn your countenance today was for me to lie to you. Some people today actually want to be lied to. We live in a really weird society. It's, it's, it is off the wall weird. The people don't even want real truth. They want their own version of the truth. They, they know, they hear the truth and they say, I don't want the truth. I want my own version of the truth because my version of the truth seemingly brings me more joy, brings me more happiness. It becomes about me. When in reality, what's really happening is it's nothing further from the truth. So here our Lord tells his disciples that all that he's doing is as a result of the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he uses a phrase he's used a couple of times already, and he uses it in this last verse we'll look at in two different perspectives. He says in verse 16, a little while, and ye shall not see me. Now mark that, he shall not see me. He's talking about something very specifically, okay? And it's coming. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. Now there's so much packed in that, ye shall not and ye shall see. And it all kind of hinges on what he says last, because I go to the Father. Here you have this, this, this balancing going on. You have, you have him saying on the one hand, in a little while you're not going to see me, but then a little while longer you're going to see me. You're going to see me, but I'm going to go to the Father. It's kind of back and forth, isn't it? So I'm not going to see you or I am going to see you. Lord, which one are you talking about? He says to them a little while, you shall not see me. You see, Jesus Christ, for the foundation of the world, it was already determined that Jesus Christ must die on the cross as the perfect sacrifice and the only acceptable offering for sin. Jesus Christ must be buried, which means he must die, which we've already said. He must be in the tomb. And for those few days, three, they wouldn't see him. He was gone. As far as they knew, he was gone. Now, you recall that you get later on in the Gospels and you find out that even after he told them all this, when he did appear again in the resurrection, they didn't even know who he was. Between those three days, they had forgotten everything he seemingly told them. And he makes this appearance in his resurrected body. And that's for another hour. But that's what he's talking about here. He appeared to them many times before he took on that glorified body and went back to the right hand of the Father. He was away from them during the trial. He was away from them when he was condemned. He was away from them except for John and Jesus' mother when he was crucified. He was away from them while he was in the tomb. So in reality, Jesus was out of their sight. They didn't see him. Now, you and I 
have never seen him bodily. That's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons you can't be an apostle. So if a man comes to you and sadly, if a woman comes to you and says, I'm an apostle, they're lying. Because you have to be able to have seen Jesus and none of us are that young or that old, (laughs) right? We're too young. It's not possible. Man wants to call himself an apostle because he has some superior knowledge. He calls himself an apostle in many circles because he misunderstands and twists the truth of who the Holy Spirit is. Usually those people who still call themselves apostles are the same people who don't understand what the Holy Spirit is all about. (laughs) If you call yourself an apostle, I'm not even going to give you any of my listening ear. I'm not even going to give you an opportunity to explain yourself. If you call yourself an apostle because you're not one. These are simple truths. But as a side note, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit trail. But if you try to convince yourself, well, they just call themselves an apostle. It's just kind of a title. You're deceiving yourself. They're not just calling themselves that. They actually believe they have the ability to have special revelation. All I'm telling you is that's not the spirit of truth. You hang around it. Don't, don't be surprised when you get deceived by it. There are people who grew up in solid Bible preaching churches that have gotten deceived by the whole work of the charismatic movement and have gotten wrapped up into it. It's happened many, many times. But yet, Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about this me being away from you. And he's reminding them. In one verse, he says, you're not going to see me, but then you're going to see me. He makes them a promise. Another one that I am I'm, I'm, I'm influenced and I read a lot about and, and read a lot of his old commentaries, John Gill, with this phrase about going to the Father. And why did Jesus mention this? I mean, he, he could have just told the disciples, You're not going to see me, then you are. And we could have said, wow, that brings great comfort. But Jesus, who's always doctrinally accurate, always the master teacher, that last phrase, because I go to the Father, we contend to just kind of overlook it and say, it seems kind of like it's tagged on. Here's his thoughts on that. And I I agree with what he's saying here. And I have to be honest, I'm not sure that before I read this, I had really stopped and thought about this a lot. But he said Christ went to the Father to give an account of the work he had finished on earth. To carry in his blood that was shed righteousness and sacrifice. To present himself to his Father on behalf of his people. To appear in the presence of God for them. To be their advocate, plead their cause, make intercession for them, take possession of heaven in their name. To take his place at the right hand of God in their nature to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. Somebody said one time, they said, why do you read all those old dead commentator preachers? Because in so many ways they had it right. And I'm sorry, most of the stuff I read today, and even even my mind, I, I look at this stuff and I'm like, we are just so filled with fluffy doctrine today. Jesus is your best friend. Jesus is on your side. Jesus wants you to be happy. 
And yet here, this doctrine that's being taught here, this is the very fabric and the foundation of everything that we are in Christ. If Jesus doesn't go back to the Father, you and I are absolutely, positively hopeless today. If he stays here, folks, get this. If he stays here, all of this becomes void. So everybody that wants Jesus, it's it's so mean that Jesus was killed. It was according to the foreordination and the planning and purposes of God. It was going to happen. And he is coming again. And not a single thing that he told them, not a single thing that we read, it's not going to be changed no matter what man tries to do to it. You're not going to alter it. But even as he goes to the Father, he didn't leave him alone. That's what he meant when you shall see me, not just in my resurrection body. You're going to see me by the presence of the Holy Spirit that's going to dwell in you. John 14, verses 16 through 18. Again, we read part of this. I pray, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another, remember the word, another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Jesus was their initial comforter, but he says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And he used that phrase there in verse 10, yet a little while the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. He wasn't talking about coming back in this earthly life and living with them. He was talking about the comfort that was coming and he would be that which Jesus was. He says, if I pass on to eternal glory, I will be much more present with you than I was before. Then you will actually feel what I am and what I'm able to do. Jesus himself even said before his going away that greater things would be seen. Those greater things that would be seen is the power of the Holy Spirit working and testifying of the Holy Spirit. I heard Christ, Holy Spirit testifying of Christ. Greater things. For us to make more about the Holy Spirit than we make about Jesus Christ would be, a, would be a bad mistake. It's the other way around. The Holy Spirit speaks about no one or nothing but Jesus Christ. Today, the question is, number one, has the Holy Spirit of God begun a good work in you? You see, the work of the Holy Spirit's always good. He never does a work that fails. Oftentimes we hear people say, the Holy Spirit did all he could to convert that soul, but he failed. No, the Holy Spirit's never failed. All that the Father hath given to me. But has he begun a work in your heart? Has he converted you? Has he saved you? Does the Holy Spirit dwell within you today? I'm not asking you if you have a walk with God. I'm not asking you, do you read your Bible? I'm not asking you, do you pray? I'm not asking you, have been baptized? I'm not asking you, do you give to the church? I'm asking you, is the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you today? Because if he is not indwelling you, you are not in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the evidence that you are indeed in Christ. You say, well, then what do I do? How do I come? If 
Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing and nobody is hindering you from doing that. Man says, I don't want that. Don't blame God for your rejection. Don't blame God that he did not choose you. Don't blame God. Repent and believe the gospel. Upon repentance and belief, the Holy Spirit of God, upon that conversion, comes unto you and will evermore indwell you. If you have any desire today, today, you say, God, to the Holy Spirit, open my eyes to receive the truth. Open my heart, open my ears, that I might hear and know you. Jesus Christ has never cast away anybody who's come unto him. And this idea that says Jesus told somebody no, that has never happened in all of eternity. If you die in your sins, you will die because you rejected him and you refuse to repent and believe the gospel. Nobody is hindering you from coming to Christ. But yet, we falsely accuse God. Somebody says, well, God must not have loved my friend because he didn't save him. No, your friend rejected Christ without a discovery that's given by the Holy Spirit of God. A man can't come to Christ. What does the Holy Spirit discover in us? Our guilt. Our eternal danger. What sin has done to separate us from a holy God. You and I cannot even rejoice in the hymns we've sung this morning, rejoice in the readings that we've read, for the scripture that we've heard, without the Holy Spirit of God giving us the understanding of what Christ's redemption really means. You didn't come to Christ by an intellectual assent. You're not in Christ because you're smarter. You're not in Christ because you're well-educated or you have more money or because you're poor. You're in Christ because the Holy Spirit of God opened your eyes and your heart and made you willing to believe the truth. And today, it is not an invitation, it is a command to repent and believe the gospel. I'm not asking you, do you want it? I'm not asking you if you'll consider it. I'm telling you, as the Bible commands you, repent and believe the gospel and be saved from your sin. Look unto Jesus. Look unto the Lord, all ye nations. Look unto Christ. Nobody hinders a man or woman from coming except their own rejection. When we're brought to understand our own need, our own depravity, we see why we needed a Redeemer, why we needed the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit has done not only has saved us and converted us through His power, but it gives us a, a better view of who Christ really is. You know, when you sit at your, in your own study, and I hope you do this, when you sit in your own study and you begin to just be marvel at what Christ has done, it's the Holy Spirit that's reminding you of all those great truths. Listen, if we truly believe we have the spirit of truth within us, then we ought to live in full dependence upon him. Live in the dependence of the spirit of truth. This is what the Jesus was teaching his disciples, and it's what we need to learn as well. Your sorrow will turn to joy.